Before we get started, there's something I'm really excited to share with you. It's no secret that we think diversifying your income is incredibly important. One way that we do it is by investing in rental properties. We've done a ton of research, interviewed experts, and invested over $100,000 of our own money in income-producing rental properties. I am proud to announce that we're launching Rental Properties for Passive Investors. It's a course on exactly how you can passively invest in rental properties. Like our podcast, it's incredibly actionable and details exactly how we've both purchased and managed our rental properties. It also includes a year of investable, the analysis tool we use to make sure the rental properties we purchase are actually profitable. Finding the deal is half the battle. You need to know your numbers to make a profitable investment. We're running a pre-sale for $100 off. Head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash REI to learn more. That's listenmoneymatters.com slash REI for $100 off rental properties for passive investors. Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Seek the truth for yourself, and I'll meet you there. My name's Thomas, and I'm here as always with my good friend Andrew. Andrew, how are you and what are you drinking, dude? So I'm really excited, but I am drinking the Yang. So drank the Ying. Now I'm having the Yang. And I think next time I will mix them as suggested. So I can have Oh, full, you took my advice. Yeah. So I have the full black and tan. But this is an Imperial Tuio T-A-U-I style ale. It's delicious. Interesting. I'm kind of sad, like, in our little triplet of interviews today, you didn't do the yin, then the yang, then the mix. Now you know, I have to wait, like, what, six weeks for you to mix them and tell me? <laughs> you know, each of them are 10%, and I tend to crush a beer regardless of how long the interview is. So I'd yeah. be, I would be wasted by now if I just... <laughs> You'd be sleeping. I'd be doing this interview myself. <laughs> uh, I ran out of beer. I had like that one last beer in my fridge for the interview we just did. So I'm back to water, which is probably good for the horrible sunburn I'm still recovering from. <laughs> that, that was my second guess. My first guess was kale juice, but I guess you're out of that uh, as well. I already drank my kale juice this morning. Thank you very much, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> I want to make sure you're taking care of your health, man. I literally did drink kale juice this morning. Um, I'm trying to swear off of coffee. So whenever I walk into Whole Foods to get breakfast, I'm just like, I guess I'll get kale juice. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's like a big difference now that you're in Colorado, you drink kale juice because in Iowa, they just drink high fructose corn syrup, right? Yeah. We literally, we go to the store, we buy a bottle of maple syrup and Jemima's <laughs> we just drink the whole thing. That is the Iowa way. And then you eat a pork tenderloin. Uh, but yeah, here you have to drink kale juice and kombucha and whatever else. Mm. <laughs> anyway, guys, today on the show, I know Andrew's really excited. I'm really excited. Mark Manson's in the show. And if you guys don't know who Mark is, he runs a website called markmanson.net. And uh, he's got a lot of really good shit on it. <laughs> and he also wrote the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which you have read, right, Andrew? Yes, sir. Cool. I read the article. I have not read the book yet. But anyway, Mark, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Good. Kale juice sounds horrible. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's not that bad. I get Why, like the I get the I, stuff that's like mixed with mango juice and stuff. So it's it's pretty good. My, my philosophy is stuff. is when you have to like whenever you have to describe a beverage as it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's that bad. 
Guys, I, I want to announce something. Uh, it's, okay. It's, it's crazy. It's been like four years, but I quit my job. Whoa. Um, yeah. Oh, and, this will be live after that, right? Yeah. yeah Wait. So, but I thought money mattered. So it does matter. <laughs> Not that uh, much. <laughs> and actually, uh, I think my, my wife can – yeah. Not that my wife could blame you because uh, I I was doing well in my day job doing yeah. listen to my matters doing well and uh, I think I was like racing to just I don't know make the most amount of money possible and that was like I don't know a value that I had mm-hmm. and I read your book on the subtle art of not giving a fuck and I honestly thought I didn't really give many fucks anyways I think Thomas will attest. And I, I realized that I was, I was doing it all for the wrong reasons. Wow. That's awesome. Well, congrats. Do you have a, like, what's your plan going forward? Other than playing Homelessness. Co- copious <laughs> amounts of video games. <laughs> uh, like creating things, taking days off, wandering the streets. I don't know. Like I, I built this whole business on like evenings and one day a week. And it's more profitable than my day job, so I might just, you know. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> I, I waited a little long. That's but, No, yeah. that, but that's good. That's good. Um, I actually, I have an article on my site about quitting your job. And, and, you know, one of the first things I say is, like, like build a safety net. <laughs> you know, don't just be, like, <laughs> go, don't go into work one day inspired and, like, be like, you know what? I'm going to tell my boss, like, to shove it walk out the door with like you know 85 dollars in your your bank account like you know plan for it prepare for it create like another income stream have some savings how did you do it mark um i was young (laughs) and way too cavalier so i had so i started doing like freelance web work um, late, late 2007, early 2008. And then I, I had a bunch of savings saved up, like some graduation presents and I played a lot of poker and made some money that way. So I had maybe like, like 10 K in the bank and I started doing like freelance work and I, my blog started getting some traffic and I was like making affiliate sales online and suddenly I'm making like $500,000 a month for like two or three months in a row. Five hundred thousand dollars a month. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> five hundred between five hundred and a thousand dollars. Oh, uh, and you quit yeah. on that? Are you crazy? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was fucking stupid. So, I was very cavalier. Like I had, my, I was in my day job, and um, and I hated it. And and I was like, you know, like I I, I was. Like I had only been doing the online thing for like six months, and well, I was like, "Well, you know, like at six months, I'm already making like seven hundred bucks a month or something. Like, imagine where I'll be in well, six more months." Mark, like, how long did it take you to decide that like you couldn't take your job anymore? Uh, like three hours. <laughs> 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 no, I remember. I remember literally my second day of work, sitting there. Uh, my supervisor was like explaining something to me, and I was thinking to myself, "How long is it?" I wonder how long you'll be before I can quit and like go do something else. And I was like, I was like, wow, this is my second day at work. Like this is a really, really bad sign. Um, so yeah, I worked for like two months. I saved up some money. I had maybe like 10, 12 K in the bank. Um, I took my two weeks vacation. So I had like two weeks paid vacation. Like, um, and I was already making like five, six, 700 bucks a month. Um, 
but yeah, I was way too overzealous. Like I was way over optimistic. I was stupid. I was like 23. So, you know, when you're that age, you're like, oh, everything's easy. I could do anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, I ended up on like my girlfriend's couch for a while and moved back with mom for a while. But it all worked out in the end. How long did what it were take you doing to work at the time? What's that? What were you doing for work that was so awful? Uh, so I was working. Uh, I was working in an investment bank. In oh, okay. Um, doing what? Doing fund accounting. Basically, like I was a number monkey. At, <laughs> uh, it sucked, and it sucked not only. And it sucked not. I mean, I don't mind numbers, but like what sucked was like they had all these systems in place that weren't. Um, that were like left over from like 1993. Uh, like the software was like ancient. And you basically had to like input all this data by hand. And I, I remember going to my boss and I remember, I, I remember telling him, I'm like, you know, you could like write a script that would do this automatically in like 10 minutes every day. Mm-hmm. And like, Go back to your desk. <laughs> 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 and I, I just remember being like, I don't think I fit in here. <laughs> I don't think this is like, <laughs> I don't think this is the right company culture for me. <laughs> you and I had a pretty similar experience, Mark. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did an internship in college. It was a summer internship, and they were also using archaic old systems. But instead of asking my boss, I just made the script. Oh, yeah. And then watched Netflix at my desk for like eight hours <laughs> <laughs> and just let it do my work. But yeah. yeah, I do remember having the same exact feeling. Like I sat down, he's like, hey, read this 90 page network diagnostics manual. And I'm like, well, this is a three month prison sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that a lot of us people, like people who are in IT and investment jobs end up being writers and we don't start as like English majors or journalism majors or whatever you, I guess you'd think writers would start as. Well, the funny thing with me was like math always came very easily to me. So Mm -hmm. I just assumed that's what I should do. And, And then I didn't get very good grades in writing because I would never like follow the assignment. Um, so I would get bad grades in writing and I would get good grades in math. So I was always like, oh, I should be a numbers guy, obviously. Um, and then I got out into the real world and I was like, wow, I'm bored out of my mind doing like like numbers stuff. And um, and I created a blog online and people started reading it. So there you go. You know, it's weird because uh, you're coming on and I was like looking at your site. I was like, all right, like what are we going to talk about? And I was clicking around, and my wife's in the room, and she's like, "What's the problem with men?" And and like five minutes before we come on, we're talking about like how all men are like serial killers and stuff. So, <laughs> what's up? I with just that? want to put this out there. I'm not, though. That is exactly what one would say. What isn't it? Yes, it, that is what a serial killer <laughs> would say. If they were on a podcast. Um, yeah, what's the problem with men is about actually kind of it kind of dovetails nicely with the the theme of the show and that, um, you know, we all hear about with all the feminist stuff, we all, we always hear about like how, you know, women are oppressed and women have been shat on and mm. held back and, and all this stuff is unfair towards them and, and all that, like most of that stuff is, it's very true and it's a, it's a big problem in society. And, and, um, I've always felt like there needs to be, a little bit more dialogue about like what men go through because I think a lot of these like traditional gender roles or like expectations, um, they don't necessarily benefit men 
that much either. Like it's, uh, there's like huge social pressure on men to make a ton of money, for instance. Mm. And if you're mm. like, if you're not making a ton of money, like you're seen as a failure or you're seen as like a lesser person, not just by other men, but also by women. Um, yeah. and so I think like the same way that women often like complain about like, oh, we're objectified for our beauty or, or our sexual attractiveness. Like men are objectified by their earning potential. Like men are objectified Mm. by their job, like the, the title they have at work and things like that. And like, that's not a healthy thing either. Like it's, um, it doesn't, it, it, and it's not fair in the same way that it's not fair for women. It, it's interesting you say that because I feel like you go – like say you're going to like some meetup or you're just, I don't know, a party at a friend's house. It's a bunch of people you don't know. Like the default question that like I guess guys ask guys. I think it's stupid. But still they're like, what do you do? Yep. And what then do you do for work? It's like, well, uh, during the day I'm a janitor and at <laughs> night I work at McDonald's. And, and then you're just getting judged. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I said in that article, I was like, you know, women complain all the time that that men expect them to look like a Victoria's Secret model. But I said, hey, ladies, when's the last time you you were excited for a date with a janitor? Yeah. And it, and it's like, yeah. I mean, the janitor, he could be the nicest guy in the world. He could treat her really well. He could be like, you know, a really good person, but he's a janitor. So he's going to be judged for that. And um, so I, it's just something that like, I think like one thing I try to do in my work is is take uh, like take assumptions that people have about certain topics and like kind of flip it around, like flip it on its Mm. head and point it in a different direction just to just to get people to think, you know, it's um, consider yourself like a and I'm saying this. I have no idea really what this is, but would you consider yourself a stoic? Um. Sure. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I, I I like a lot of like I like a lot of stoic ideas. Um, mm. I I guess if your definition of stoic is a person who adheres like builds his life around stoicism, um, no, I'm not. Am I a person yeah. who likes stoic ideas and and thinks they're really cool? Yeah, I am. You know, like so so I read your book. Um, I mean, like partially because you were coming on the show and partially because I was actually really interested and in, you know, like a ton of stories in there. And there was this one where you're talking about like a relationship with your brother and how um, like your happiness in a scenario is based on uh, like whatever arbitrary metric you set it to. So if it's like, I don't know if I text my sister like every day, like we have a great relationship. And then if we don't text, we must have a shitty relationship. And you're like, well, maybe you should just change the metric. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so one of the things I talk about a lot is we are metrics for like the way we define happiness is very arbitrary. So a lot of people just assume that there's like this, this great capital H happiness out there. Mm. And if we can, if we can only find it then like everything will be good. And one of the things that I point out is that actually happiness is a very, it's a very personal thing that we all, whether we realize it or not, we are defining it for ourselves. And, um, and actually money makes for a great example with this. So one thing that's very common in a lot of people's lives is, is they make this assumption. They say, you know what, if I was making like 80 K, I would be really happy. Like life would be so much easier. I could pay off my debt. I could get a better car, you know, whatever. And then they get 80K. 
And what they don't realize is that that brings its own problem, associated problems with mm. it. And then suddenly yeah. sitting there like, you know what? If I had 120K, life would be really good. I Yeah. I, it normalizes, I, doesn't it? I could get a better house. I could put my kids in a better school. And it's like, and then they get 120K and then all of a sudden there's new problems that come with that 120K and they're like sitting there and like, you know what would make me really happy? It's 200K. And it, and it, and it never <laughs> mm-hmm. ends. And it's like, it's like that with everything in life. And, and one of the things I point out in my book is like a lot of these standards, whether it's money or relationships or um, friendships or, you know, hobbies, it's a lot of what we choose, like a lot of like how we feel about certain things, like say my relationship with my brother, the example I used in the book was my brother's terrible at like keeping in touch. Like he's just really bad at it and he's bad at it with everybody. It's not a personal thing. And I, I spent like a couple years of my life pretty much perpetually upset at my brother because he like would not respond (laughs) to certain texts I sent. (laughs) And then, and then it just like, it came to a point where I realized I'm like, you know what? Like in a way I'm choosing to be upset here. Like, my brother doesn't feel any different about me. Like, it's not like he's, he's acting sitting- normal. Yeah. It's not like he's sitting there, like looking at his phone, like not responding to this one. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's just who he is. And I'm choosing to define like my relationship with him that way. And I was like, you know, maybe if I choose to define it another way, like, like we get along and we see each other like once a year, like, maybe that's a better way to define our relationship. And mm. and sure enough, as soon as I did that, suddenly I have a great relationship with my brother. And like <laughs> literally nothing has changed except for like the way I define it. Dude, so... So are you actually satisfied with the relationship with your brother just by reframing that? Or did you like make any changes like maybe calling him more often or something like that? Um. So, well, let me put it this way. Because it's... So in a perfect world... Like my relationship with my brother would be defined, would exist around like my preferences, which I, we're all that way. Like, but it's, it's just not reality. Like he and I are different people and we have different expectations. Um, what has changed is that I've accepted that he's different. Um, and I have adjusted my expectations based on Mm -hmm. that acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so based on that, like, yeah, I'm happy. Do I wish he would text me more often? Yeah, of course I do. But like, it doesn't upset me anymore, and it it's not like um, it's not like a a salient problem in my life anymore. So yeah, you were saying like you know if only I can make eighty thousand, you know, and then you make eighty, then you, then you're like if only I can make one twenty, and you know you allude to this thing where it's like you have a problem and you solve the problem to trade in for a better problem. Yep. And like when you're moving up in the direction like you can like I, I could resonate with that but you, you're making 500,000 a month what about all the people who are saying like <laughs> fuck I'm not making 500,000 a month I, I'm why joking you, why are you making these things up <laughs> no but like <laughs> what, what would you what would you say to the people that are looking at you because you make 100 or whatever whatever you make and they're like well sure. fuck this guy because he's making 100 I'm making 30 uh, I don't know well, it's hard, right? Because look, I'm not going to be like one of those douchebags who sits here and is like, money doesn't mean anything. Like, obviously, money matters. Thank you. Know, like, you. Listen, yeah. money matters. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Like, obviously, 
100 K is better than 50 K. Like we would all everything else equal. If we were offered 100 K or 50 K, we would all take 100 K. Like that's just, yeah. that's obvious. So like, yeah. obviously money, money is, it, it's, it's important. Like we care about it. Um, the, the thing is, is that it's a question of, it's a, again, it comes back to this question of like, how are we defining our happiness? So like the, the problem isn't necessarily wanting to make more money. I think we all want to make more money and there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like there's, there's actually a lot of good things with that. The problem arises when we assume that our problems will be fixed, that money will solve our problems and that money will mm-hmm. solve happiness because it does neither of those things. All, what it does is it replaces our problems with slightly better problems and it replaces our happiness with a, with a different, different aim for happiness. So it's like, it's, um, it's like in terms of like psychological health, I would say it's pretty net neutral. Um, like you're not going to be like a more whole satisfied, like confident person just cause you make like 20% more money. Yeah. And it's a you're, dangerous you're, mentality to almost associate that with like worth or confidence or whatever. Yes. Because I don't know, you're like the best, most smartest person in the world, and then you lose your job, and then are you like the dumbest, most worthless? Yeah, and, and this is something I brought up. So I wrote like um I wrote like a members article on my site recently because I'm writing so subtle art like blew up and is insanely successful like way more successful than i ever thought it was going to be it's selling tons and tons of books and so this has kind of been giving me a mind fuck recently and one of like i wrote this piece for for my site members where i said i was like it makes you wonder like what is more valuable like what's a more valuable use like as an author like what's what's better writing a book that say a million people read and and get a small amount out of or writing a book that 10,000 people read and it completely changes their lives front to back and like makes like makes them better people. And that's like a really impossible question to answer. Um, yeah. And and what's interesting about that too is that as an author that also calls in the question like my professional goals because mm. obviously writing a book that a million people are going to buy it's going to make me way more money, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm adding more value to society. Like if I write a book that say 10,000 people read, but like it completely like saves their lives, then there's an argument that that's a more valuable use of my time. So I guess the whole point with money is that like money is good, but like you can't, there, you can't, there's no, it doesn't, it's, it's illogical to attach it to happiness like unless you're like homeless yeah. or something like mm. it's not going to make you happier and there's plenty of studies that back back that up yeah i think a, a, a useful way to frame this in your head is to think like there are any number of lower positions you could be at yeah. and if you're listening to this podcast you're probably among like the top 10 percent of the world's income earners and it would be ridiculous to assume that everyone below you is not happy and it would be ridiculous to, to assume that like whatever position you're at, it's something beyond beyond where you're at, but achievable for you where ultimate happiness would be achieved Yeah. because you could e- just as easily be so much lower than you are right now. And then you would be looking at your current position as the goal 
So, and I've always found like happiness kind of comes through struggle. Do you feel like that as well? Like it's never just, oh, something was easy and it's a static thing. It's like, there's always like this pendulum and coming back to the middle position from some out of whack position is kind of what causes happiness. Cause it gives you something to compare and appreciate. You know, uh, Mark actually talks about this in the book and it was one of the things that I really resonate with Mr. Uh, Mr. Mr. Money Mustache had this like presentation that he gave and it was like the ultimate goal of, you know, wealth and whatever is you eventually uh, have like this mansion and you hire all these people to like take care of all the things. And like at the pinnacle, you could just lay in bed with a bedpan and there will be people <laughs> that will change your bedpan and you could have a TV and you could watch all of your workers in the world transpire while you lay there and sip like, I don't know, coconut juice. But like we all know that's ridiculous and it's it sounds awful yeah right like it sounds awful because at the end of the day like it's it's like kind of like solving the problems is what's fun yeah it's well and this is the thing is like i think when people are struggling or when people are facing challenges it's kind of just intuitive to assume that happiness equals comfort like Mm. people just kind of they think they're like you know what like I've got this debt to pay off. I've got a mortgage. Um, you know, I've got like got to buy a new washing machine or whatever. Like life would be so much better if I just didn't have to worry about this. And yeah, that may be true. But like they mistakenly equate like happiness with some like a lack of stress or or comfort. And the truth yeah. is, is that um, Happiness actually comes from a sense of challenge. It comes from a sense of challenge and it comes from a sense of overcoming challenge. So if you think of like the classic example is like imagine like spoiled rich kids. Mm. You know, it's like some, you know, trust fund brat who like grows up and his dad is just like giving him Ferraris all the time. Like the kid doesn't appreciate it and he's like miserable because he like just like throws stuff away and doesn't care. And he's like, ah, I, I'm feels entitled to everything. And like, that's not, that's not what happiness looks like. What happiness looks like is like somebody who consistently over the course of their life sets up challenges and goals for themselves, meets those challenges and goals and, and moves forward from them. Um, so there's like struggles, like an innate component of happiness. It's not, it's not something you're trying to get rid of. So, um, I, I I actually made this like quitting my job thing like independent. I mean, I read your book. It was like super like it powered me up. Um, but I I feel like uh one of one of the first articles I read of yours that really tuned me in to you was like it. I think it was like fuck yes or no or fuck no or yeah. yes or something. Fuck to, yes or no. Yeah. yeah, and like uh, I guess I I figured you know. What do you what do you have to lose? Like you might as well do it now. Like I I, I don't know. Like, I guess it's like a confusing. It's it's also confusing because like you could uh, want to quit your job. You're like fuck yes. I don't want to ever go back to Wendy's ever again. You know. <laughs> right. But but not of a plan. Like how, how do you frame making like decisions uh, and not having them be ridiculous? Right. Well, a lot of it depends on circumstances, right? So, you know, one thing, if like you're a younger, a younger person, like let's say if you're under 30, mm. there in the long run over the course of like, say 40 years, like a 40 year career, career, 
there's very little repercussions of say being like 27 and like throwing like just saying fuck it and just doing a complete like 180 and changing your career um so the younger you are like the more you time is your asset because any drastic change you make in your life path um you've got that much extra time to like to build off of it um it gets more complicated when people are older and particularly when people have like financial obligations. So like kids, uh, debt, marriages, things like that. Mm. Um, and so I think in that context, a lot of those decisions have to be made not only within that context, like understanding, like talking to, to the people in your life, like, you know, going to your, to your wife or, um, and, and or like going to your kids and being say like hey like I'm miserable and things are gonna change around here and we're gonna have to like tighten up for a few years but everything you know this is for the better um, you know but also involving them in that decision process because I, I don't think you can just like you know if you, if you've got if you've got kids and a mortgage and everything like you can't just be like ah fuck it I'm done. I'm going to like go wait tables until I figure out the next thing, <laughs> you know, like it's, it, yeah. you've got responsibilities. <laughs> if I didn't involve Lauren, I just said, fuck it, I'm quitting my job. I, I may not still have a wife. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, so there's the older you get the, I mean, it's still possible. And, and actually I've talked to a lot of readers who have sent me like amazing stories of, you know, like people in their forties who like just, dropped their career completely did a 180 and changed and like we're really happy about it um but it's a harder calculus i'd say that when you're young especially if you're debt free and young if you're like 26 25 and like debt free like you have the the downside is so small like the difference Mm. between an unemployed 26 year old and an unemployed 22 year old is like nothing so like you know you just you might as well if you hate what you're doing you might as well just say screw it i'm gonna go try this other thing well mark so you had like uh, a rough plan and you were at least doing webs you know building websites for people but i I think like there's a ton of people are going to be listening who, and we've talked about like building business and stuff. They're like, yeah, like I really just want to do my thing. Like I just want to, I don't know, hire people to paint homes and I'll do sales and wh- like whatever their, their business ideas. Where, like where's the line, whether they're 27, 25 yeah. or 30 between like, dude, just do it, fail and you'll recover. Or like, sure. that's a terrible idea. Like what are you doing? I think. I think that the key component to like making the leap is to at least uh, like create some evidence that you're actually going to get paid doing it. Um, so it's one thing to have like, so for instance, there's a lot of people who have an idea. They have a business, they, they have a job they hate and they have a business idea and they struggle with this question because they're like, well, do I leave and I do I try this business? And the correct answer is, is what you just said, nights and weekends, try, Mm. do something small on the side, try it, like create a little test for yourself. Can I actually get paid? Like go find that first client that's going to pay you. Go find that first person who's going to work for you and like see if it actually works. Do that and it, and it, and get, get paid. And in that way you at least like have some evidence that you're not just like, 
you know, throwing shit into the wind. Um, yeah, I, I think it, I think it's, you know, one thing that you hear a lot of times and, and, and I definitely feels very, very true. Like the longer I spend in internet business is like ideas aren't worth anything. It's like, it's all about it's execution and, uh, in work. Um, so I, but the thing is, is people who have never started their own business, they overestimate their ideas. They think that I, the idea is everything and the work small part. And, and so they need to like flip that around and just be like, okay, you've got an idea. Who cares if it's good or not? Like go find out. And then, and then you can like, if you make some money, get paid a thousand bucks or whatever, then you can come back and be like, all right, maybe I'll quit my job, like start thinking about it, maybe plan like six months, start saving money, create like a safety net for yourself and then, yeah. it, then make the leap. So also, if, I mean, the other thing is like, if you're willing to do that on the nights and weekends, in addition to your job for long enough to get that proof, then you know that you give enough of a shit about that thing yep. and not just that you hate your job so much that you would do anything else. Mm. Yeah, that's another really good point because a lot of, a lot of businesses sound great in theory, but then when you like actually sit down, I can't tell you how many people I've met who are like, I've got this great idea for a blog, man. I can't wait to do it. I'm like, cool, go write like 10 articles and like email me. And then they just, <laughs> they just like, they never write anything. They're just like, wow, this is really hard. Like, I don't mm-hmm. you know, I'm like tired all the time. And, and yeah, it's, it's, you don't know what a new what a new line of work feels like until you're actually working in it. And, um, and so you need to get that experience as well. So there are people who are like highly motivated. Like they're clearly like towing the line in all areas of their life, but they're stuck in like this ideation loop, like forever, you know, and there's like ton of ideas and like, you know, me and my friends have been talking about this idea. We've been meeting uh, like every month we've been meeting and talking about it. Like, I, from my perspective, I'd feel like, well, if you're only meeting once a month, you should probably not do it because you're not like crazed <laughs> about it. But like, right. how? What would you say to these people to like get out of this loop? You know, to like, I don't know, uh, do something. Look, talk is cheap. Like, it's all about deliverables. If you can't deliver something, like you, like, look, the three of us could sit here and talk until we're blue in the face about. Mm podcasting about websites about whatever investing whatever we want to talk trust about. me we do every week yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like until you deliver something until you like show up and you're like hey i did this this and this the last two weeks like you don't have anything so yeah it's you have to create those for yourself. And and like that is essentially that literally is what being an entrepreneur is because everybody else, like everybody's used to a boss standing mm-hmm. over them and saying, Hey, this is what you have to have done by next week. And as an entrepreneur, you have to do that for yourself. And that's, yep. that that's, that's hard for a lot of people. Like a lot of people don't make that shift. Dude. Uh, I, I think that like totally nailed it for me because uh, and, I, and I know both of you guys will resonate with this. It's like, uh, what do you need to do next in your business? Like, you could probably rattle off a thousand things you don't have time for. <laughs> right. You know, when mm-hmm. someone says they don't know what to do next, yeah. like, I actually don't really know how to respond to that. Uh, yeah. Is, is, am I, are we like psychopaths? Like, how do you find out what to do next? <laughs> I just make shit up. Have either of you read The War of Art? Yes. I, I read it uh, a couple of weeks ago. We did a podcast episode on it on another show of mine. 
kind of a weird book, but yeah. I really liked the part where he's just like, resistance is a compass. So whatever it is that you are really resistant to doing, that's probably what you should be doing. Yep. And it's so true in my business. Every time I'm just like, I have 10 things to do. And the one I really don't want to do. And I put last on my to-do list. That's the important one. That's the most important one. That's, that's the one that's probably more like more valuable than the other nine combined. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, like, yeah, the way I describe it in my work is that anxiety is proportional to significance. Um, mm. and, and that's true in everything that's true. And, you know, whether it's a breakup, whether it's taking a new job, whether it's quitting your job, like it's, it's the more significant of a life change something is, the more your, your psychology is simply going to resist it and, and become anxious around it and find reasons not to do it. Well, how do yeah. you know what to choose? Like whether it was like the job or the whatever, you know, like obviously you don't want to necessarily leave the job or you think that's crazy. So the fact of you not wanting to leave means that you should? I mean, it's – so it's it's not just the anxiety or it's not just to put it in Stephen Pressfield's terms. It's not just the resistance. It's the anxiety plus the desire. So – um, you know, if you love your job and you have a great job and the idea of leaving it terrifies you, then yeah, you should stay with it. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's, but it's when you're like, you have this, this business idea that you've been daydreaming about for two years now. And the thought of like spending a weekend working on it and creating like a deliverable for it terrifies you. Mm. Well then, yeah, that's, that's exactly what you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually the needle that I use. But yeah, yeah, I can't just be resistant because I have resistance to jumping off of a cliff. But for yeah, good we, reason. Yeah, we have resistance <laughs> everywhere. You know, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. You had a bunch of other reasons for, or like, little like litmus tests and questions to ask for figuring out if something is the right or wrong decision. Um, I liked the one that was like, what's the thing that makes you forget to poop? yeah yeah i've got an article called um seven strange questions to find your life purpose and that that's one of them what's the one thing that that makes you forget the poop and um i used the example apparently isaac newton when he was uh formulating gravity he would work he would work for like such long stretches um that his mother would bring in food and like put it on his desk and he like wouldn't touch it. Like he would forget to eat basically. Um, and like his mother would have to come in like the next day and be like, Isaac, you didn't eat anything. Like stop, you have to eat. Um, and so <laughs> I think, I think we've all experienced that at some point where like you've been doing something, you've been working on something or you've been like, like having fun with something. And then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, holy shit. It's like, it's five hours after you thought it was. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, that's that's like a big telltale, like telltale sign. Of like this is something you need to pay attention to because this is something this is something that like really resonates with you on a deep level. Sometimes I feel bad about that general piece of advice because I've had times in my life where I that thing is easy to identify. And then there's other times where it isn't so easy to identify and so I feel like, oh, well, if I don't have something that's making me forget to poop, then clearly my life has no purpose right now. 
that's meaningful enough to count. Uh, and I don't really, I don't really know how to work through that. I guess like the answer I've often given myself is, okay, you need to either make a change now or just like create space because you're trying, you're trying to do too much and it's not, none of it's fulfilling enough to make you forget to poop. So obviously <laughs> some of it needs to go. Yeah. I, I mean, that's part of it. I, I think, um, you know, so most people in the self-help area, they, they kind of approach this question in terms of like, there's this, there's this wonderful thing out there called your life purpose. And like, it's just a matter of going out and finding it and then everything is going to be great. And I've always taken kind of a different tack of you're already doing, you just don't realize you're doing it. And one of the examples I use is, is actually my writing. Like I used to, it, it didn't, and it didn't even occur to me until I was like blogging for years, but I, I spent a lot of my adolescence and early twenties, like on forums. Like I was, I was basically that guy. Like if you were on a forum and you posted something, you know, there's always that one guy who comes in and like replies with like a three page response explaining why you're wrong in like 12, <laughs> 12 bullet points. And you're like, wow, this guy has no life. Like, so you were the- that guy. I was that guy. I was that guy. And and to me, it didn't even occur to me that like that was weird because my idea of a fun afternoon was, oh, this dude on the Internet is wrong. I'm going to spend three hours explaining why he's wrong on this forum. You know, like it to me, it was just fun. Like I, I didn't even think about it. it. And it wasn't until I was in, you know, I had been blogging for two or three years that like people started asking me, they're like, well, how do you how do you write like 2000 word posts? So I'm like what do you mean? Like I've been doing that forever. And, and it just like, and then I realized I'm like, yeah, most people don't do that. I've been doing this for, for ages. And I, and I think most people are like that. Most people have something that they care about. They read about, they watch, like they think about that just seems so obvious to them that they don't even realize that it's different. Um, Mm. and then that, that's actually, that's actually kind of like the magical thing that that they really care about do you think you have one of those andrew things that i just kind of like lose myself in yeah like is there a thing that's always been there because i struggle to find one thing like i i tend to get interested like intensely in something for a while but then a few months later it might be something else and i, I think I like know. coding I don't know, like just like very alone in a room type thing. And I, I just love it. Like yeah. uh, I actually had to learn to like doing the podcast. When I started with Matt, I, I kind of hated it. You know, I'm like huh. a quiet guy, maybe. Yeah. You just said it because your wife told you to do it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> just do whatever she says. <laughs> that is literally why Listen Money Matters is a podcast. <laughs> She's like, record this. Fine. We're all here because of Andrew's wife. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, like, I don't know. I struggle to find that because maybe some people are just meant to have many different interests and and try different things. I think like the, the one thing that has always fascinated me is just learning new skills and I don't know, that joy of discovery that comes from accomplishing a new thing. But it's never been in one particular area, it might be making videos, it might be playing guitar, it might be coding. 
and next month it might be something else. I mean, it could be something that abstract. It could. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a specific activity. It could simply be like a process your brain goes through um, repeatedly. Yeah. It's fine. Like, which is the other thing I think people like narrowly define passion as like some monetizable thing and it's like mm. you know no human brains are very complex like there's a, a wide variety of things that we can enjoy become passionate about and um I, and, and you don't you don't necessarily have to make money off of it like you can you can live a very happy life like <laughs> yeah and i think yeah. you like accidentally make money like it all kind of just falls into place when you're just doing shit that you enjoy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I do want to say that I, I uh, agree. You had written in the book, like uh, you almost find your passion through doing things like yes. this whole yeah. listen, money matters, whatever. I'm, I'm sure college info geek, like, uh, like accidentally became something I enjoyed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Blogging. Was I, same, I did was it because I was pissed me. off. pissed off at what i uh i was a freshman in college and i applied to write for another blog because i thought it would be good resume experience and they rejected me and i was pissed off so i made my own blog (laughs) and that became my job (laughs) there you go yeah for me it was um my roommates had blogs and they were like dude you've got like really funny stories like you should start a blog and and so i started one and then i started trying to create internet businesses and after about two years, my internet businesses were barely making any money. And I was like spending all my time blogging. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> maybe, maybe, I should, maybe I should just blog. <laughs> it turned out to be a pretty good decision then. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. So, uh, Mark, what is the subtle art of not giving a fuck? Like, how do you just not care about anyone or anything? That's not what you want to do, man. That's uh, <laughs> we've got to care about something. So what I what I explain in the book is, um, you know, most people see the title subtle or not giving a fuck. They imagine like some guy with like sunglasses on in a nightclub who uh, is just like too cool for school. And that's that's not what we're going for here. What we're going for is simply like a more conscious uh a more conscious deci- like decisiveness about what we value, what we care about. Um, one thing I've been like kind of joking on a lot of interviews I do when they ask me about the titles, I say, I wanted to write a book about values, about what we care about, but then I realized that nobody would read it, so I had to put <laughs> fuck in the title. So I called it subtle word and not giving a fuck. Um, but, but the most important word in the title is subtle, like because it's not obvious what we give a fuck about. It's not obvious what we should give a fuck about. And so it's actually a very difficult process to evaluate, like what actually matters in our life? What should we be investing our emotional energy and our, our time and, uh, and work into? I haven't read it, but I read the article and I, I thought it was awesome. Did you enjoy the, the, the grandmother? I very much enjoyed the grandmother as somebody who has been that cashier dealing with that grandmother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were a cashier. All right. I, I have had so many jobs as a teenager. Um, when I was a teenager, I had like this idea in my head that I had to have like a full resume 
by the time I graduated college. Otherwise, I would literally never get a job. So I was like a cashier. I was a tutor. I worked at an accounting place, like all sorts of things, cornfields. But yeah, <laughs> I've been that guy. <laughs> I also Iowa, appreciated right? that. Uh, yep. I was an Iowa boy. I'm in Denver now, but yeah, spent lots of summers in the cornfields getting uh, sunburns. Not as bad as the one I have right now, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of glad my webcam's broken today. It's, yeah? It's pretty bad. Yeah, it turns yeah. out if you go on top of a mountain, you are closer to the sun than most other people on the entire face of the planet. And uh, that's kind of significant. <laughs> that's that's surprisingly logical. It's. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> makes sense, yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I also very much appreciated that uh, you spelled out the the real four meanings of life, which are friends, family, purpose, and burritos. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agreed with that. Yes, absolutely. In that order as well. <laughs> In that order. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty decent order. <laughs> maybe put burritos first, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe. It depends on the friend or the family member. <laughs> yeah. But what I took from it is like, not giving a fuck is not really not giving a fuck. It's just not giving a fuck about shit that doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. Like you have to know what matters. You have to have stuff in your life that is matterful and you have to know who to care about and who to not care about. Yeah. It's um, the first subtlety that I list is, is I say it's um, we all have to give a fuck about something like you have to care about something in your life. And it's just a matter of choosing what you care about in we are always choosing, whether we realize it or not, we are always choosing what we care about. And, um, yeah. and this kind of ties back into these like these metrics that we choose to define our happiness. Like we are choosing like 80K, that's going to be it. Like that's and we don't even realize that that that's simply a choice we made. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense. Like I think when people picture that whole like that guy doesn't give a fuck thing in their head in a positive sense. They fail to realize it's always in a context where the thing that they're not giving a fuck about doesn't matter. And it's okay right. to not give a fuck. Yeah. But if you're just like watching a mom leave her baby in the car on a hot day, you would say <laughs> that mom doesn't give a fuck. But that's yeah. a problem. That is a huge problem. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's generally, yeah. When not giving a fuck is talked about in a positive way, it, it's like a situation where, uh, we wish we, we didn't care, but, but we do, you know, like yeah. we, sh we shouldn't care, but we do, you know, it's like, like somebody being an asshole to us or somebody inviting us to a party that we don't, we don't want to go to. And, and like some guys like, yeah, I'm not going, I don't like you, <laughs> you know, we're like, wow, I wish I could, I wish I had the balls to say that, <laughs> you know, like that's essentially what the book is about. <laughs> yeah. How to not give a fuck about the stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I don't know. I think we get better at that as we get older. At least I have. <laughs> I think so, too. I think a lot of it is just maturity. And part of it is, like, the older you get, the more the more shit you deal with and the more shit you see. And, and so the, the, be the, the better you're able to kind of differentiate between, like, yeah, this matters in the long run and this doesn't. Yeah, and hopefully you start to realize more clearly what does matter. Yeah, so that, that starts to give you the clarity that you can use to, again, not give a fuck about the stuff that doesn't. Yeah. Like how much money you make. If yeah. it's 
it's you know at a reasonable level already. Yeah. Do you guys still think seventy five thousand is the reasonable level? Isn't that what the studies say? Um. Yeah. I mean, the studies say that that's where it levels off. Mm-hmm. Happiness, like the correlation between happiness and money, levels off at seventy five k. Um, it's interesting though because there's another study that shows that a lot of it has to do with your community. So if you make a hundred k, but everybody around you makes seventy k, you'll be happier. But if you make a hundred k and everybody around you makes two hundred k, then you'll be less happy. Um, unfortunately, we're humans and we're like social creatures and we compare ourselves all the time. So um, yeah, that's a big part of it. I mean, I I live in New York, so like I see this all the time. Like like it's in a lot of parts of the country, I would be like a quote unquote big fish, but there are places I go in New York where I just feel like a total dweeb <laughs> and I'm like, why am I here? And, uh, it's, it's like, it's funny how that works. So, uh, um, yeah, I kind of get that feeling here in Denver too. Like, yeah. I come from Iowa and now there's people that drive by in Maseratis every day. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, there's but a it, store it, in the mall where you can buy Bentley parts. It's like a whole <laughs> store for Bentley parts. <laughs> but it, it's, it's like use, the most insane thing. It's useful to understand this stuff because it, mm. it's like, because at least when this stuff happens in New York now, I can kind of look at it and laugh. I'm like, yeah, um, you know, it's all, it's all a little bit ridiculous. Um, you know, where instead of being caught up in it and being caught up in like, oh God, I gotta like, I gotta make more so I can like move to the West Village and like go to this cool like VIP place. And, um, cause if, if, if when you fall into that of like, I need this to be happy, I need this to be happy. And, and the, this is always like this arbitrary external thing. Like you're, yeah. just, you're just on a, you're on a treadmill. Like you're, you're on a really, really exhausting treadmill. I think American Psycho is a really good illustration of that. Like specifically that scene where he's like, oh my God, that guy has like satin business cards. And what (laughs) restaurant did you get a reservation to? Wow, I'll never be happy until I get that one. Like it just, it seems ridiculous from the point of view of basically anybody watching it. But we kind of do the same things. We do it all the time. You know, it's the old keeping up with the Joneses. It's like... It's like, oh, the Smiths got a got a new lawnmower. Like, I got yeah. a new lawnmower. <laughs> that type of thing. So, is that your main kind of tactic for dealing with the unhappiness that comes from social hierarchy? Just kind of like acknowledging it for the ridiculous thing that it is. Yeah, I think laughing at it is is healthy. Um, like understanding. Like this, this is the thing is, is understanding your own, like understanding human psychology, um, and how like flawed and fucked up we are. I think it has a huge amount of value because I think before, like if you, if you don't know much about human psychology, you kind of just assume that whatever we think, um, makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. But like the more you learn about the way the human brain works, the more you, you realize like how biased and like just screwed up we are like in in things that we assume. And, uh, and so that has been hugely valuable for me because I can like see moments where like, I'll get like pangs of jealousy or pangs of like, like insecurity of like, Oh man, like 
maybe I should like go out and buy like a tailored suit or something. And, 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 and then like 30 seconds later, I'm like, that's stupid. Why would I think that? <laughs> like, what is, <laughs> what is my brain doing right now? Like, why am I thinking that, you know, like, so I, I think it's, it's hugely valuable to understand your own mind's tendencies and assumptions um, so that you can kind of stand back and just be like, yeah, that's not useful to me. That's not, I shouldn't think like that. Yeah. But wait, you don't want a tailored suit? Uh, no, man. <laughs> Hate to Whoa, say Mark, it. better step up. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. If you guys want to hang up now, that's, uh, I, under- I understand. <laughs> this is listen, listen, tailored suits matter. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it really just comes down to like, do you want that tailored suit or not? <laughs> right. I mean, like, does it does it bring you happiness in and of itself? Yeah. Like, like, are you a guy who's really into suits or like fashion or looking good? Like some guys are into that. Some guys just like really love looking good. Like, that's cool. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, I need to look good because the other guys at work look really good. Like then then you're like you're chasing a ball down a hall and like it's. It's just like it's not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I think guys look their best when they're just confident and happy with what they're wearing. Exactly. I think men's fashion can be very prescriptive sometimes. It's like, oh, you got to have this and it better be navy and your socks need to be this color. And you have to have a pocket square made of this material. Otherwise, (laughs) you fail at life. (laughs) Otherwise, you're a loser. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark, I know we're coming up at near an hour and a half. Well, this has been one of the longer episodes. Um, so give us your best tip for success in life ever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've had podcasts that do that to me, and I'm like, uh. Yeah, they do that to I me think too. I need to pull – I should pull one on my wall just as like the one to grab when I get asked that. <laughs> but seriously, I know this has been a pretty meandering conversation, but it's been great. It's been great talking to you. I think people will get it uh, get a lot from it. And hopefully they'll go read your book and your website. Also, I wanted to say I appreciate that you narrate your articles. Yeah. Like nobody else does that that I know of. I do it sometimes. And I think like when I saw that you did it on your site, I was like, yes, somebody who finally gets it. You can turn a blog <laughs> into a mini audiobook. It's such a good idea. So I gripe and complain in between it, in between articles. <laughs> um, I I end up doing them. <laughs> you what? I said I gripe and complain in between in between recordings, but I I end up doing them. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean yeah, it sucks to do them, and there's always yeah. I mean I don't know about you, but um, it seems like more often than not when I do record an article, I sit there and fuck it up for about an hour, yeah, and I have to send like this just garbage file to my editor and be like, I'm sorry, please forgive me and please turn this <laughs> that people actually want to listen to, but I do think it gives people an extra option. I mean, it just kind of clicked with me. It's like, wow, people are listening to podcasts more than they're reading the articles. There should just be narrated articles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Audio is a big thing. So yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think I said your website in the beginning of the episode, but just for posterity, where can people go to find you, connect with you, get your book, all that good stuff. Markmanson.net. You can check out the articles there. And then um, if you want to, check out the book subtle art of not giving a fuck it's on amazon and everywhere booksellers bookstores whatever um check it out if you like it you know 
sign up for the email subscription on my site and get more. I was really sad you didn't say, if you don't, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> oh, I can add that if you want. You can edit that in. If you don't, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we will have all those links up in the show notes, though you can probably walk into your nearest Barnes & Noble and the book will be sitting like on the table in the front of the store. It usually is when I go in there. Um, but it, those show notes will have all those links as well as links to anything else we may have mentioned. And then you can also go over to listenmoneymatters.com slash resources to find our favorite apps, tools, and books. And I'm guessing Andrew will probably add this book to our little bookshelf there at some point in the future. Damn right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Mark. And uh, to all you listening, thanks for listening. And we will see you in next week's episode. Later. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. 